welcome to Splash Pages, the comic book club. As always, make sure you check out our Facebook page and join the awesome comic book discussion we have every week. And this week, we're going to be talking about Inferno. So Chris, over on his Sal Basima, uh, Spectacular Spider-Man show, he is doing a month-long story on, uh, on Inferno since so many issues. And we're going to do a couple episodes to tie in with that. This is being one of them. And uh, we're going to be talking about tonight Uncanny X-Men 239, 240, and 241, along with X-Factor number 36. And this all kicks off the Inferno storyline. And uh, here we go. Everyone thinks because you're a zombie, you don't know good coffee. Well, they're wrong. There's only one brew that gets my seal of approval. Deadly Grounds coffee is my guilty pleasure. The aroma is so intoxicating. It brings all of my neighbors out of the woodwork. Deadly Grounds coffee. Coffee to die for and zombie approved. It's good to get a little deadly. Use the front door! Oh, they're so disgusting. This is Kevin Conroy, the voice of Batman. You're watching The Dorkening. Stay tuned. Pages, the comic book club, your weekly dive into your favorite graphic novels and comic books. Their mission to fight injustice, to right that which is wrong, and to serve all mankind. And here we are, Splash Pages, the comic book club. We have an awesome show for you today. We're going to be kicking off our discussion with the massive storyline in and uh, we'll do a quick introduction of everybody. As always, the Velvet Joker himself. How's it going, Rich? It's good. It's good. How's everyone doing tonight? Doing great. I hear it. Drew. I'm ready for my close-up, Mr. DeVille. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that was bad. I love it. Uh, Chris, how you doing? Fantastic. I'm burning in hell right now with uh, Madeline Pryor by my side. Awesome. You, uh, you brought bad. a special guest with you. Would you like to introduce your guest? Yes, this is Kelly from the uh, Spiderweb Network of Amazing Podcast, and she covers a uh, Spider-Girl Mayday Parker podcast, which is fantastic, as uh, the daughter of Spider-Man. She's not the daughter of Spider-Man, but she cosplays as the daughter of Spider-Man, as well as several other people. Yeah. <laughs> but Most you're mostly known for doing a fantastic job as Mayday Parker. Thank you. Sometimes I don't know where she starts, and I... I end or what? However, that works. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, that's fine. And, yeah. uh, and and actually, the uh, Spider Girl is now actually Spider Woman. Excuse me, right? Because her father was killed during uh, Spider Verse. Okay, we we don't talk about Spider Verse. Oh, that's okay. not a thing yeah. that we talk about. Um, that can go in the trash, like what? all the rest of the majority of that. Leo, Leo, yeah. no, 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 get started. She's talking about the comic book, not that movie. Yeah, yeah, no, no, no. The movie is amazing. The movie is amazing and fantastic. Yeah. Uh, this is this is the 2014 
uh, slot team um, mas- masterpiece gotcha. Spider-Verse. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll get into it someday. Maybe not ever. Wow. <laughs> wow. She just made that sound like it was some clone saga-ness right there. She was just like, oh, I no. Mean, I mean. Whoa. There's... We have her. Uh, we have her co-host coming up for the clone saga very yeah, soon. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You might want to get the hate out now before he gets on because he he will defend it, like to to his life. <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, before, yeah. Uh, before we hand it over to Chris for the synopsis, uh, I'm just going to give a little introduction. Uh, so, along with X Factor number, uh, so we kick off Inferno with Uncanny X Men 239, 240, 241, along with X Factor number 36. You can also catch up with Web of Spider Man 47 and Spectacular Spider Man 146. On if you listen to the audio show, this is going to be on the Spectacular Spider Man Sal Buscema era podcast. So uh, Inferno is the first X-Book storyline to truly be a crossover. And the story actually continued from one title to another from month to month. Uh, Inferno event lasted from October 1988 through August 1989. And I'm going to channel my inner Sophia. Picture it, Sicily, 1988 and then 89. George Bush was president. The Niners won the Super Bowl. We had to say goodbye to Lucille Ball. And at the box office, Batman and Good Morning uh, Vietnam reigned, along with a slew of sequels, ruled the box office, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, Ghostbusters 2, and Back to the Future 2 were top movies. And Boob Tube saw The Cosby Show, Roseanne, Cheers, Alf, Empty Nest, Growing Pains at top of the charts. Uh, those were the days. So, uh, Chris, how's yeah. it going? Hey, what's up? So I um, convinced Leo that we needed to start Inferno to tie into the Spectacular show uh, because the uh, the order number of issues of Spectacular Spider-Man was going to run into the mega crossover event uh, Inferno, which was mostly an X-Men uh, related thing. And I wanted the splash pages to cover it. So Inferno begins with a match struck as the enigmatic geneticist named Mr. Sinister and the demon lord Naasha, 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 I cannot say the name. Uh, set their respective plans in motion, both centered around one woman in particular, Madeline Pryor, the wife of Scott Summers, X-Men Cyclops, and she is also the mother, biological mother of Cable uh, one day. Right now, he is just a baby, so not quite Cable just yet. Um, the storyline will also involve the Sinister's agents, the Marauders, as they attack Madeline's protectors, the X-Men, and this is just half of the first half of the Inferno coverage we're going to give it on Splash Pages, uh in about a half an hour we will get into the spectacular issues but uh leo what issues of inferno did we read for this because i read like halfway through the trade paperback <laughs> oh, it helps if i'm you, not you can read now chris yeah <laughs> <laughs> uh okay so for uh this week's episode uh we read uncanny x-men 239 240 241 uh, along with x-factor number 36 and web of spider-man number 47 and spectacular spider-man 146 okay so a little context prior to inferno um jean gray had died during the phoenix saga and sinister scooped up some of her genetic material and cloned her in a madeline prior and cyclops is so goddamn stupid he couldn't figure out the woman he was falling in love with was a clone of the woman he's been pining over since he was a teenager because he has 
tunnel vision no pun intended because he can only see through red so he sees every woman as a redhead i guess I, that must be the explanation but madeline Pryor was kind of not jean gray but looked exactly like jean gray like she had her own personality she was headstrong she was fierce she was a pilot she was an own independent woman but it was always this kind of like, wow, she looks a lot like Jean, but I can't figure out why. And Mr. Sinister was a character that was not created yet by the time Madeline Pryor was introduced. So it was Chris Claremont's giant plan of like, we're going to introduce this in pieces. Now, Jean Grey was found to be alive and well by the Avengers at the bottom of the East River where her body had been dumped by the Phoenix Force when she took over her body and said, I'm going to put you in a cocoon that's going to rejuvenate you and turn you smoking hot again. Right now, you look like a mummy, so we'll get back to you. She was handed over to the Fantastic Four and revealed that she's Jean Grey and Cyclops like, Jean, you're alive! Fuck my wife! And runs off to see her and then he comes back to his house and finds the charred remains of both his baby and uh, Madeline Pryor. Uh, later on, Madeline Pryor decides to get involved with Sahavik as part of the entire plotline to Inferno and starts seducing him. And that's where we are. Okay. Chris, before we start, I'd like to say that Chris, before we start, before we start, I'd like to say that when I die, if you're still alive, I'd like you to read the audiobook of my life because I feel like you will make it so much more entertaining because I just live for your summaries. Just want to tell you, beautiful. Just nerdy as heck, but beautiful. Real <laughs> quick, you. I wanted to find out, how did everyone learn about Inferno? What was their first experience, uh, exposure to this massive, colossal event? Uh for me, through you. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. Uh, Rich? Oh, I I read these. This was the storylines. I mean, this is my senior year of high school. So, I mean, this was the storylines. I was reading X-Men and all this. Drew? I have always heard of Inferno because I've been reading X-Men for over a decade now. So I guess I always heard it in reference to magic, but I never got a chance to read it. So I'm going to go with Leo and I'm going to say, you know, it's all thanks to you, buddy. Kelly? Um, I picked this up in a quarter bin. Uh, God only knows how old I was. I would assume it was 94, 95, so it was like four. And it, I actually think my first X-Men comic, beyond the Rogue miniseries that had come out in 93, oh, wow. was probably X-Men 241 with Madeline Pryor on that cover. I have it. Like, I own it. I don't know how, why, uh, but yeah. I assume it was somewhere around there. <laughs> Um, yeah, so I don't, awesome. it's fun. Yeah, no, I mean, I was, I was a child of the X-Men cartoon shows. So picking up the comics as a kid was great. The, um, my, my exposure to it was a, uh, was that, uh, issue of Amazing Spider-Man where the, where the lizard is just prominently on the cover drawn by Todd McFarlane. And he's like peeling back Spider-Man's mask about to chew mm -hmm. into him. And that was the first drawing of Todd McFarlane did of the lizard, which was just truly terrifying. And that tied into Inferno because it was, you know, the lizard and Spider-Man dealing with the monsters of everything coming to life. And that that issue just terrified the hell out of me. And then years later, I tracked down, I, I, thankfully, this uh, trade paperback was sitting at a uh, uh, bookstore that was part of a train station in um, DC and I and I bought it because it was the entire Inferno star saga and I had never read it I'd only read the Spider-Man issues here and there and then years later when I finally came into you know any kind of money as an adult getting a job I tracked down all the Spider-Man tie-in issues 
Um, those Hobgoblin issues, which we'll get to in the next couple episodes, including the ones Kelly and I will discuss, are were very expensive and hard to find sometimes. They're very, I mean, they're very important to the Hobgoblin story. So I'm just yeah. going to call him Hobby because Hobgoblin gets jumbled. Right. The, the artist on these books is one of the co-founders of DC Comics, and he was one of the prominent artists that left Marvel back in 1991 to go form Image with Todd McFarlane and Eric Larson, who are also working, who also worked on Spider-Man. Uh, Mark Silvestri. I mean, his entire uh, art style through Inferno is amazing, uncanny, if you will. You had, you had, you had to go there. You had I to did. make that joke. I, I I'm so mad I that I, I was just about to do that. I hate you, God. Burn. What does everyone think of Madeline Pryor's costume in this storyline? Because I was first exposed to it in a what if storyline, and I didn't know what the hell I was looking at. I knew who Jean Grey was, but there's a what if Wolverine was Lord of the Vampires during Inferno, and Madeline Pryor is in this ridiculous costume, and I was 13 years old and being like, holy crap, what am I reading? Am I allowed to read this? Will I have this comic book taken away from me? <laughs> We've talked about before the uh, physics of the uh, comic book outfit on the uh, female body how uh the uh somehow physics doesn't work so when they punch someone they don't fall out of their costume it, it's double stick tape and there's actually there is a duct tape trick to this i'm a cosplayer i know know these things i wouldn't suggest i wouldn't suggest duct tape on your skin however you can um you 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 can make it work for some double stick tape that doesn't uh come off just just saying um also, I, I like slightly, if I wasn't, uh, you know, body conscious like a normal human being, I, I would say def- <laughs> that is a definite Dragon Con costume if I ever oh, saw totally. one. Oh, God, there yes. is a uh, There is a cosplayer who came on my show who did a giant Vampirella uh, movie review commentary with me who does this costume perfectly. Oh, nice. She works I, for I, Top Ten Nerd. Nice. Mm-hmm. I've known one or two people who have done it and it's just, it's so funny, but I agree with both of you. It's so crazy when you see that because it's just a reminder that as far as comics are come, it's still very much rooted in a kind of, they're written for men, male fantasy kind of thing. So you see this and I was just like, yeah, don't tell me that that is not, that is, uh, that's not, that that's not possible. Like that, that's essentially like a skimpy bikini, weird top, looking got like i feel like you'd see that in like a club for vampires yeah like 100 percent, and sh- and that person would fit in beautifully in that surrounding in the normal world something like that's a stripper some vagueness right there that, that it would be like a very expensive stripper oh yeah no high quality i mean uh, to, to to die for yeah now, I didn't go into a lot of deep diving into the issues of New Mutants because I didn't think it had like a big enough uh, impact to everything that we're going to cover in like just two weeks. But the mm. demon known as Sim, how, um, uh, Kelly, do you know how he is tied into Inferno with uh, Nahaha, Nah-ha- Nah-ha- whatever the demon's name is? <laughs> yeah, just call him um, the demon, man. Yeah. I just called him Nashtree. I mean, I'm like sitting here. I'm like, we were reading this, but I'm I'm not entirely sure how he's tied like how he's tied to Inferno. I haven't read all of Inferno yet, so I've only read what we're going over today. And so mm-hmm. right now, it's just you know, I know that there are demons at play, and yeah. you know, New York is. I'm not quite sure if this is New York 1988 or New York 2020. Um, so. <laughs> 
there's that. But uh, yeah, actually, you know, I do there's... remember now. The 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 big fat purple demon that keeps popping up sometimes is actually the demon that was running um, uh, Limbo when uh, Magic was mm -hmm. trapped there as a young girl growing up into her teenage form because she goes in there as like a seven or eight year old girl and she comes out at like sixteen years old. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> You're talking about Sim, of course. Uh, yeah, Sim, the fat, chubby, ch cigar-chopping demon that we see in the promos, uh, you know, holding the chain of one of the X-Men, uh, staying next to Madeline Pryor and Mr. Sinister. So can I just say, I, I still find it amusing, no matter what, when I'm reading Claremont, that he always feels like like everything, he treats every issue like it's the first one you're reading. So all the characters always go through such like explanation dialogue in their things they always go like oh if this person with this power was doing this thing oh they're also experiencing that i was like what an excellent way to catch it up with top-notch action like he's just so good with that but it's just such a, a thing that he does that i feel like other people don't really do as much but i i noticed it especially in the x-men uncanny x-men issues and i'm just like man like you still you, it, it's dated but it's still great I don't know if you guys feel that way. That's just that you know thought. Signature style. But I, I, I also was like, I couldn't believe that Scott and Alex technically are Eskimo Bros with Madeline Pryor, right? Is that that's what yeah. I, I, I was insinuating? They yeah. both have slept with her, so literally Eskimo Bros, uh, right? Uh, yes, but like also even like just the issue that. Um, y'all are pulling up with Dazzler like Dazzler just takes a person home and then later on you know totally gets mad Alex hanging out with Madeline so I think we should just realize that you know there's more um, action in the X-Men crew than Beverly Hills 90210 at the time right oh, yeah. and this this pause right here on the scene Leo this is really important to why Ma Madeline's able to get her mitts into Alex and turn him into her little bitch boy because it literally Alex has this full head to toe black costume with the uh, you know Hobbit symbol on his chest by the end of Inferno mm. which we'll get to in the next week's episode it's like torn to shreds and looks like a BDSM fetish gear like hers um, but this scene right here um, Havoc had to kill uh, um, somebody that was infected by the brood and he is not doing very well with it having to murder somebody with his, the use of his powers something that he uses he wears that containment suit because it helps contain his powers just like Cyclops wears the visor to help keep his powers in and this is something Madeline uses to her advantage to get into basically get into bed with Alex uh, because he is so distraught over what he had to do recently killing this brood human hmm. I, and also, Kelly, I 100% agree with you on the drama. Like, I've never seen two X-Men fight over somebody wearing their dress while I believe it was roller skating. Roller like, skating. That was a, yeah, that, that was new one to me. Roller skating in the outback over a guy. And then Longshot just comes in and Daz was like, oh, I thought we were a thing. And he was like, you know, we didn't really put a title on it. So I just kind of was feeling I was going to get some a little lucky here. So, you know, I'm from another yeah. world, so your rules don't really apply to my Mojoverse mm -hmm. yeah. status. You know, let's, like, I'm sorry, I mean, and I'm just like, well, damn. Well, there's also, there's the whole point of, like, the really sexy 80s nighty that uh, Psy Psylocke is wearing. And she just, like, takes off her stuff and just, like, starts running around the nighty. And you're like, wait, what? Like, 
that's normal all right cool and then like in, in that scene with rogue she comes crashing into a wall where Psy- psylocke is literally being painted like one of the french girls for colossus and that's just normal <laughs> That's just a normal day with the X-Men. And and let's add one more to it, that Havok is still pining for his ex, Polaris, who is now possessed by Malice. Yep. Yeah, the amount of bondage that gets covered in Inferno is absolutely unbelievable. When you have Madeline Pryor um, chained up by Mr. Sinister in this very, mm-hmm. you know, the, she's in the costume and, and she is literally chained with her arms and legs and waist bound up by chains by Sinister, whose costume is also extremely ridiculous. And I couldn't even imagine how, yeah. let, let's just say, Madeline Pryor is not a character you're going to see in Disney's upcoming The Mutants TV series that they're working on. Uh, mm-hmm. As you know, oh boy. We, we don't know. They could throw it on Hulu and just call it a day. <laughs> True story. You never know. Now, is Madeline Pryor currently alive on the island of Krakoa? Uh, She has showed up um, in the Hellions series where, of course, she reunites with Alex. And she loves how damaged he is. Um, Not really sure where that went. I'm pretty sure she she escaped capture as, you know, the X-Men do because they can never hold a bad guy. but yeah, so she she's popped up before. Uh, so she, yeah, she's alive. She's out there. She's being the Goblin Queen, right. or as they say. Um, the other thing is over in the X Factor book, uh, the husband wife team that currently works on X Factor really made X Factor what it was. Um, the Simmonsons. Mm-hmm. The Simmonson, excuse me, yes, yes. Walter and Louise Stein, uh, Simmonson, uh, who I met uh, a couple times at That's Entertainment in Worcester and at uh, Boston Comic Con, um, they were on X Factor for quite uh, from the very beginning to up until just a little bit past this point, up till Cyclops, I think, has to you know send Chris to the future to be repaired. Mm-hmm. Indeed, and and I would like to also like to point out, and we ha- we have it perfectly right there. The thing I particularly enjoyed in Inferno was the little references, the pop culture references. Like, you cannot tell me, look at that image. That's not Calvin and Hobbes, okay? That kid is wearing a striped shirt, and he's carrying a stuffed tiger. That's mm-hmm. obviously that, a reference to Alvin Calvin. and Jobs. It's Alvin and Jobs. Yeah. I keep telling you. <laughs> Get out of here with this, okay? Get Stop out of with here with ridiculous them. theories. <laughs> yeah, they hey, changed listen, it. Just I'm just telling you. Uh, they changed I'm just it just telling you. Bethesda is showing up in, in – yeah, sorry. Yeah. Oh no, no. I was just gonna say, uh, when I when I used to do uh, uh, sign work, um, the guy who owned Calvin and Hobbes was, uh, from what I understand, the company was notorious for going after people for uh, for selling his uh, his artwork as uh, stickers. Mm-hmm. Oh, interesting. This is also, by the way, I love um, Marvel and DC have this problem. They can't seem to assign any other job to girlfriend characters of the superheroes besides just being a reporter. Uh, this is Trish. She was dating the Beast at this time, and she was a reporter. Uh, it's like, it's, 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 uh, uh, What's her name? Wally's um, one-time wife before uh, the New Fifty Two and uh, Linda. Linda, yeah. <clears throat> Linda Park. 
the park and there's like four other female characters that I can't think of off the top of my head who are all reporters that date the superhero. And it's like, guys, there are other great professions out there. You don't need to make them all Lois Lane. I understand Lois Lane is the character to model the girlfriend after, but there are other amazing professions out there you can assign to these female girlfriend side characters. <laughs> I'm, yeah. I'm also and kind of... Then... Well, Sorry. Go ahead, Kelly. No, no, go. You go. Okay. Kelly. Sorry, I was just gonna say. I was like, I'm wondering though, because of the, the time that we're in, and or they were in, too. If they were just basing things off their friends who were also journalism majors or creative writing majors that went into journalism, because that was oh. very common, and maybe that's why the profession that profession seems to be common in comics. Hmm. Mayhaps. Maybe. I just I was just I was just thinking it's just like Lois Lane works. Let's just do that. But make her Asian. But make her black. But make her a redhead. But make her, you know what I mean? And just it, like change it up. No, it, it needs to be changed up. It is over completely overplayed and was already made iconic with Lois Lane. But I'm I'm slightly wondering if maybe they're you know, everyone says write what you know. So Right. And and, and Barry's uh wife currently on the Flash TV series, Iris, is a reporter, and Mary Jane in the Spider-Man video games is now doing Peter's job at the bugle because Peter, you know, they, they wrote Peter as a scientist in the video games. Yeah. A scientist who keeps working for bad scientists like Otto Octavius, and I can't wait to find out who's gonna work for the next one. He's gonna be Miles Miles I almost said Miles Miles. Miles Warren, the creepy college professor. You got Chris, you got to slow down with your rants, man. I swear to God, you start losing steam near the end. Um, but there, but, there is one I, thing I, I will give Mr. Sinister over uh, Miles Warren. He didn't he didn't clone Madeline Pryor to just want to bang her like Miles Warren cloned Gwen Stacy just to be like, I just cloned you because I couldn't have the real you. I cloned you so I could bang you. Yeah, that's that. That was that was. Yeah, I'm glad they they glossed over that when they did him in the animated series. But another reference that I wanted to bring up, which is a personal favorite of mine, that Leo, before we started, brought up, is that essentially in here you have uh, this group of investigators and whatnot who are essentially the Ghostbusters. They're uh -huh. essentially doing research on it, and they get kicked out because the Egonish person of the group is being uh, a snob. And the Mitra D is like, excuse me, if you can't be a professional again, get the fuck out. And they're like, okay, fine. We're going to take our gear that obviously is a proton pack into the murder elevator, which if you're a Ghostbuster fan, you know that we have a thing about elevators. We just, you know, love turning on our equipment during that. And again, this just taught me that I need to just beware elevators when my city is dealing with a demonic possession. Because apparently you're just going to get eaten or stuck in a mural. Where you're pulled apart by demons so lesson learned you know check One of the, the walls before the doors close check the walls before the doors close oh yeah so there's a scene there's a scene early in the x-men issue where some people go into the elevator and get freaking murdered with the blood seeping out from the elevator okay. kelly and i are going to cover that scene really quick coming up on in uh spectacular because i think uh one of the reporters at the Daily Bugle mentions uh, people disappear and we're in a elevator, right, Kelly? Yeah, I think uh, I think it's Joy or it's Ben. It's Ben or Joy. It's when they're yeah. they're they're at a cafe. Yeah, definitely, and, definitely. And they see Glory um, with the the Wolfman. All of the images in this book. Now, Inferno came out in what year? Nineteen eighty-eight, right? Yes, eighty-eight um, to eighty-nine. Okay, yeah. so um, at least two years prior to this, the real Ghostbusters cartoon series came out, and a lot of the anamorphic, yes, like, turn everything, your desk, your chair, your wall, your car, your toaster, 
uh, the thing that the guy looks through the viewer at the top of the Empire State Building and it sucks his eyeballs out. All that stuff reminds me of the real Ghostbusters because they would have entire episodes where ghosts would just take over every inanimate object they could get their spirit into. Mm-hmm. Well, True also, story. Uh, oh, sorry. Go ahead. Like, you know, like, you, you know, like in Lord of the Flies when they have like, I've got the conch. Can we have like a nerd conch or something like, like, I, like something we all have is like, no, no, I've got the shield. I, it's my turn to talk now. You know? Wolverine has the best uh, fight with the got with the um, the mailbox chewing on the man, and the yeah. mailbox is like pretty pretty flippant to Wolverine. Like I'm government property, you're not gonna do anything to me. And Wolverine just <laughs> the claws is like want to bet, and it just cuts the freaking mailbox open to free the guy. <laughs> uh, so, so just to back up real quick, uh, so you're talking about the family that got eaten by the uh, the elevator. Not only that, I mean to to go into this without knowing anything. Thing to see how dark it was in the beginning you know you have the father that's thinking about you know offing his own family because he's annoyed with them. i mean what what the hell yeah yeah, yeah. unbelievable can you imagine if claremont had written the um the thing that all of the epicenter of all the inferno evil and demonic stuff had been the world trade center and not the empire state building Oof, man yeah think about like the upcoming think about there's a there's a crossover with spider-man and uh x x force uh todd mcfarland rob liefeld did uh where the juggernaut takes down one of the two two towers of the world trade center mm-hmm. yeah like yeah. it right on top of spider-man cable and x force damn that juggy <laughs> So, yeah, yeah. So I will say something slightly controversial. I have to say that as much as I enjoyed reading this, I feel like there were some issues where I was a little bored. Um, like the 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 like for me when when like because I read some of the intro stuff and as with all due respect to Walt and and Luis, like I found it a little boring because I, I wasn't reading X Factor. So I mean, again, it was still good. It's not you know uh, some other stuff in the more recent times, but I just found myself a little bored. And then like when Madeline Pryor is revealed to be a clone, spoiler alert. And if anyone gets mad, it's been out since 1988. So suck it. Um, you know, with that, I was like, oh, okay, cool. This is familiar. I get that. So did anyone else feel like like some parts of it weren't on the same, like kind of running on the same level? I don't know. Just, I, or that just I, No, I, I had in my notes, it felt like um, like the three issues of Uncanny felt like as the world turns 80s style. So like this isn't even like Dynasty or something that would be primetime. This is 2 p.m. on a Monday right after like uh, Wheel of Fortune or something like it because there's just different parts where it's like, here's this really cool stuff going on that I really want to get into. Like, why is New York City literally eating itself and its people? And then here's Mm -hmm. all of their melodramatic drama. You know, and it's like, well, can't, you know, the only time that it starts to really turn up to me is when Madeline finally meets uh, Sinister and has their Darth Vader moment uh, because mm. that's when you go, oh, okay. So now everything before kind of starts to make sense because it's basically these kind of almost felt a little bit like filler issues. Right. As a and, whole. When did, and when did, what issue of Uncanny X-Men did you say Madeline first made her appearance? It was before like 150, right? Oh, I mean, it, I, it just died. Yeah, died. I'm using yeah. okay. I'm using the bunny fingers. 
Yes, Drew, uh, like it, with the uh, the X Factor one, with uh, I really enjoyed the interaction between Beast and Iceman, like just sort of mm. being buddies and having a good time while they were defending stuff. Um, it, that kind of took me back to like, okay, so it wasn't always the drama. There was still like fun and camaraderie being had. Right. And also, don't forget at this time, the X-Men, the X-Men that we know the team to be, Wolverine, Rogue, Colossus, Havoc, um, Psylocke, Longshot, Dazzler, and uh, Storm were, by the general population of the world, to be dead. They had been supposedly killed off in the Fall of the Mutant storyline. And uh, the X-Factor team was posing as, like, bad guys to round up mutants for the government but actually turning them into like a uh, uh, a place to mutants to live and not be persecuted and stuff like that so x-factor was posing themselves as being like this we're the bad guys publicly but secretly we're still the x-men doing what x-men have always done protecting mutants and um the x-factor team of the original x-men scott Cy- you know cyclops gene bobby Iceman, uh, Angel, now called Archangel because of what happened with Apocalypse, and Beast, uh, mm-hmm. not furry. He's furry on the cover of my trade paperback, but he's not furry in the book sometimes. Um, mm-hmm. Have not interacted with Wolverine and the other X-Men in, in, a, in a long, long time. And another moment and Xavier, to bring up... By the way, if anyone's wondering where Xavier is, he's in space with Mad- with uh, Lalandra and the Shi'ar Empire. I'm not sure if it happened... I'm sorry. Go ahead, Drew. I apologize. No, 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 no. It's okay. You go. You go. You go. No worries. Lost my train of thought. I should have passed you the conch. (laughs) Cool. Totally. Pass Uh me the nerd conch. Why don't we wrap up Um, up this? uh, Sorry. Go ahead, Rich. No. Oh God. See, we need a conch, man. I swear. (laughs) We need a buzzer. We need need a, 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 a buzzer. Uh, Kelly, how do you how do you handle this when you have like twenty cosplayers on an episode that you guys did recently? Because you guys had like twenty MJs and twenty like hats, <laughs> right? She uh, offers well, we them tr- war we blood. Tr- yeah, well, I try. We tried getting twenty black cats. I think it turned into like four. Uh, but yeah, no, we. I I think we were all because we just wound up doing a round table. Okay. When it got so big, so some because sometimes popcorn just does not work. Right. Definitely. Sadly. Definitely. Well, why don't we wrap up the first half of our two-part uh, coverage of Inferno before we get into Spectacular. Um, and, uh, does anybody else have any other things to talk about with the uh, few issues of Inferno that we covered? I would like to bring up that I love, and I don't know if it happened in this issue or because I, I read ahead, that they had this great moment where essentially it was the original team, Cyclops, Jean Grey, Iceman, Beast, um, and... Archangel, Archangel, Angel, all back together in just one great shot fighting uh, against the force of Inferno. I know it was fan service, but that was pretty cool. So that was that was pretty dope to me. Oh, yeah. So Beast has his image inducer. That's why he's not furry sometimes. I was like, why is he furry? And sometimes he's not. It's because he's got that thing that like um, Kurt Wagner sometimes has. So people don't go, ah, demon. And he's just like, oh, cute German guy. <laughs> so uh, so uh, do we rate this now since we're not done like i don't know like, no, well, why don't we, why don't we rate, rate it until the whole thing is over <laughs> Sweet. 
Sounds good. Okay, uh, well, we will wrap up this portion here and we'll uh, head on over to the Spidey section. But as always, we do have a sponsor, Deadly Grounds Coffee, a local mom and pop shop here in Connecticut. Absolutely love their coffee, but they support the network. And uh, here's the zombie talking about coffee. Everyone thinks because you're a zombie, you don't know good coffee. Well, they're wrong. There's only one brew that gets my seal of approval. Deadly Grounds Coffee is my guilty pleasure. The aroma is so intoxicating. It brings all of my neighbors out of the woodwork. Deadly Grounds Coffee. Coffee to die for and zombie approved. It's good to get a little deadly. Use the front door! Oh, they're so disgusting. Hey, thanks for joining us on this episode of Splash Pages, the comic book club. And as always, check out our Facebook group so uh, you can join the awesome comic book discussion. Next week, we're going to do a little, uh, we're going to take a break from Inferno. Chris is still going to cover it, but over on Splash Pages, we're going to talk about uh, the Spider-Man Batman crossover from 1997. It's going to be a lot of fun. And, uh, you know, I hope you enjoyed. Catch you later. Dun 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 d